Hello again, and welcome back to Farrandon Film. Today I've been joined by Dr. Stacey Abbott, a reader in film and television studies at the University of Roehampton, to discuss the films of Catherine Bigelow. Stacey has recently written the BFI Film Classics book on Catherine Bigelow's 1987 vampire horror film Near Dark, which makes her the perfect guest for today's episode. Before we get into mine and Stacey's chat, I'd just like to remind you all that Farrandon Film is now sponsored by Offworld Tees, a film and TV inspired clothing store, and if you head over to offworldtees.com and use the code FARAND, you can receive 15% off your order. That's using the code FARAND, F-A-R-R-A-N-D, for 15% off your order. That being said, let's get into my chat with Dr. Stacey Abbott on the films of Catherine Bigelow. Okay, so what we'll do is before we get into Catherine Bigelow's back catalogue, um, I just wanted to know what your first experience was of Catherine Bigelow, or when you kind of first were aware of her. I think, and I, and I, it's hard because they're kind of close together. It was Near Dark and Blue Steel, but I think I actually saw Near Dark first, and my first encounter was when I was doing my undergraduate degree in Montreal. I worked at a part-time job working in the audiovisual department. And I was reading lots of Anne Rice and my boss was a big Anne Rice fan and mm. she was also a big Near Dark fan. So this would have been about 1990. And she said, if you like vampires, you have to see this. Right. And what she did is she showed me the barroom slaughter scene. That was my first introduction. <laughs> I immediately went, oh my God. <laughs> it's a good introduction. It's a pretty good introduction. Yeah. That was it. And I think it was Blue Steel, like not long after that, because Blue Steel would have come out around that, around the same time, I think, you know, yeah. so it was roughly, I can't remember exactly when it was roughly very close, but it was, that was the first, my, my first that I was aware of, because uh, I had, I saw The Loveless much later. Because I was thinking about this this morning, and I think I'm around about 2009, which right. I feel like actually seems really late um, for right. a lot of big old stuff. Um and this would have been in university. Right. And I want to say it was when I first watched Strange Days. Right. Because we did it as part of a module, which was either oh, Women right. on Film or The Body. And I feel like right. it was Women on Film. Yeah. And and then around about the same time was the whole yeah. Hurt Locker Avatar Oscar race. Right. Okay. Wow. And very much on Team Bigelow at that point. Yeah. I'm not a fan of Avatar whatsoever. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then that was just the point then of like, let's go back and see everything else that she's done and keep an eye on where she's going to go next. And yeah, absolutely. The, the first film of hers that I saw in the cinema would have been Zero Dark Thirty after, right. you know, the whole Hurt Locker business. Yeah, fair um, enough. But yeah, and then since then, I've definitely gone back and had a look at everything, I suppose. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Okay, so we're going to kick off. I think this is going to be okay. relatively short and then... Yeah we'll move into probably the film that we're going to talk the most about, which is Near Dark, I think. Um, so <laughs> uh, we're going to kick off in 1981, and this is The Loveless, which was right. her first film, but co-directed with Monty Montgomery, uh, right. which is an American outlaw biker drama. And as a basic plot summary, I've not seen this. So again, I'm, I'm relying on you a little bit here. Yeah. Um, so trouble ensues when a motorcycle gang stops in a small southern town while heading to the races at Daytona doesn't really tell me much about the story. 
No, and it's, I think it's really misleading as well. I bet the best way of describing The Loveless is to say this is her, her film. That it's a, it is a kind of tribute to the wild ones and that kind of tradition of bank, biker movies, but through the lens of Douglas Sirk. <laughs> like, this is a slow melodrama, very existential, <laughs> lots of people kind of thinking serious thoughts. Um, it is an early Willem Dafoe, mm. and it, it is a, I mean, it wasn't his first film, um, but it was definitely one of his earliest films, and it's a really powerful performance of him playing this biker gang leader. But it, it is, it, it's a very curious film, very art cinema. I mean, Catherine Bigelow came from, you know, a visual art background, and you really see this coming out in her playing with the frame and these like lots of very painterly shots in it. Yeah. But it's it's a really curious hybrid because it's it's a film where not a lot happens. Okay. <laughs> so it doesn't have any of the stylistic things that we associate, or it doesn't have a lot of the stylistic things we associate with her. Um, is it, yeah, is it almost like an, a western? Because I feel like we're getting a lot of these themes throughout. Yeah, it is a bit like a western. Um, like it has all of that, you know, bikers ride into town. You have a clash between the local community and this group of outsiders. So it has all those tropes, and there is a saloon scene, you know, a brawl in a in a bar. But it's it's but like I said, it's very slow. A lot of the action takes place off screen. It's um, you know, it, and it's a lot about a lot of encounters for people where they kind of very, have very intense relationships, but it's conveyed through a lot through um, style of the visual style of the film and very slow pace rather than the kind of kinetic action that you'll see really quickly when we get to our next film. Okay. Um, so it's a very, it's a curious film. It's really good, but it's very different. Yeah. Um, and it was co-directed with someone else, Monty Montgomery. Yeah. And you know, you do think you, know, you can see that it's a collaboration. It's it's very different. So then we move on six years to 1987, um, and I think the kind of the key pivotal point for our conversation, really. Yeah. Um, so I've already mentioned in the kind of podcast preamble of your book, uh, so right. your BFI film classics book, yes. and I mean, just generally, I love those BFI film classics because yes. it's such a it's a short read and it's something easily digestible Absolutely. and it kind of i feel like i know a lot more about near dark since reading yours oh, thank uh, you. and then yeah just prepping for this yeah um so i'll, I'll set it up and then we'll go into what we both think right. of it. um yeah. so it's an american neo neo western i think is the the kind of you know contemporary yeah. western that we're looking at yeah horror film in Catherine bigelow's directorial debut or solo directorial debut yeah. you should say yeah. co-written by eric red and uh, starring Adrian Padsar, Jenny Wright, Bill Paxton, Lance Henriksen, and Jeanette Goldstein. And this is essentially um, sort of a man in a small mid Midwestern town who becomes involved in a family of nomadic vampires. And I think yeah. just even the, the term nomadic vampires describes this film so well. Yeah. Of yeah. They are doing anything they can to survive and get to where they need to be. Um, unfortunately, it performed poorly at the box office, but the critics' reviews were positive, and it has, I think, the biggest cult following of any of Catherine Bigelow's films since. Yes. 
Um, it's been championed a lot by me on this podcast. So we did a horror top 10 and an 80s top 10. Nia Dark was in both of those. Um, Sam, who has been a, a guest on the podcast before, he's a big horror fan. And he was just right. like, what is this Nia Dark? What? He'd never heard of it before. Oh. And now it is his mission to catch up with it because he just thinks that's right up my street. Yeah. Um, I love, um, I'm, I'm going to pronounce it wrong. I do. If I do, I apologize. Is it Severin? Severin, yeah. Yes, I love Bill Paxton's performance yeah. of Severin. Yeah. I think it's so, like, I weirdly wanted to use the word iconic, and it's it's iconic to me because I see it and I go, that's like a quintessential vampire character. Yeah. But yeah. not many people have heard of it. Yeah. Um, just a couple of things from your book. I don't want to kind of go too much into it because obviously people can buy it and read it for themselves. <laughs> uh, is uh, You use the quote, just a couple of minutes of your time oh. about the same duration as the rest of your life, which yes. for me, I love that quote. Uh, I used it in an essay of my own at undergrad. Because uh, I just thought that it summarizes everything. Yeah. You know, it's almost as if it's it's peaceful vampires. I'm just going to ask you for a couple of minutes of your time, but that's going to be as long as you're about to live. Yeah. And then, then we will go yeah. from there. Yeah. Um, and again, I think you set it up beautifully when you say, Near Dark is a vampire film set largely in the contemporary Midwest of the USA that rejects established genre conventions in favor of its own hybrid approach. And I think to me, that was clear that Bigelow clearly setting out to do something different with this. Um, and again, it, she's trying to do diff things differently throughout of her career, never mind yeah. just with the horror genre or just with the kind of, she wants to make a Western. Nobody's going to finance a Western in the 80s. Yeah. And how do we subvert the genre? And yeah. her and Eric Red came up with this idea of using vampires to do that. Um, yeah. And again, so I think my first experience with Nia Dark was watching it at university. Right. I don't know if it was one of the ones that we had to watch or if it was just one that I went back to. I think it might have been one that we went back to. And uh, I wrote an essay in my final year of university about the authorial treatment of violence in Catherine Bigelow's films. And I did Blue Steel and Near Dark. Excellent. And my kind of the kind of the big like sort of um, euphoric eureka moment was realizing that actually they're kind of quite sexualized in their use of violence yeah. because vampires as I suppose as a convention, as a, as a convention of cinema, as an icon of cinema, is that they have to bite people's necks and yeah. it's sexualized and all that kind of stuff. And then Blue Steel, we're getting into the kind of um, phallic elements, you know, the, the masculine female and, yeah. you know, the man essentially basically raping, you know, uh, like, and the way yeah. that he comes across. Yeah. Um, so for me, this, I, this is well up there with my favorites of Big O's work. I, I'd yeah. say there were three. Uh, yeah. This would be... My number one or my number two, depending on what day you ask me and whether or not how recently I've seen it. Um, yeah. But Stacey, yeah. you wrote the book on it. <laughs> I'm going to let you go for a little bit because I know right. you love this. I do love it. I, yeah, and I've been I've not only written the book, but I've been writing about this film since I did my master's degree. So I think the first time I wrote about it was in my master's thesis, which was on just was which you'll see a theme was on vampire films. And it was because I wanted to write about Near Dark. And so it features quite a bit. And then I did my PhD on vampire films, in which case Near Dark makes yet another appearance. But I think it's always been building the fact that, I mean, obviously I think it's central to the vampire film. I think it, it is, um, I'll try not to say everything all in one sentence that I want to say about this film, but 
Catherine Bigelow knows her vampire films and she really knows, or, you know, even though when you see her interviewed, she'll, she'll throw out Dracula and that's about it. Like it's all she ever mentions, but you know that she has a sense. She knows what the conventions are and then knows how to reject them and say, okay, you know, I know a vampire film, but I'm not going to do that. So we're going to have no fangs. We're going to have no religious iconography and we're going to set the films in deserts the worst possible location for vampires. So we're going to have them on the road. So, you know, she's really having loads of fun with that convention. And as you say, you know, she wants to make Western. So she does this. Um, but in building, doing this work on it, what I really wanted to do with Near Dark was talk about not just what a great vampire film it is, but what a great horror film it is and what a great film it is. Like, I think it's rich on so many levels. Um, equally important levels like I don't think I think and that's why I was really pleased to write about it for the classics because I just think it is a classic like I just think it's doing everything beautifully um where to start with near dark uh like you said I think it's got so many things going and if I was going to kind of do bullet points I think its visual style is one of the most interesting visual styles that we've seen her do like I said you know with Loveless you can see she has a beautiful eye she has a painterly eye and she can you know, and all of her films are quite exquisite to look at. Um, this one, what you're seeing, it becoming incredibly expressionist, saying, I'm going to take all that gothic, those ideas of gothic imagery, shed the 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 accoutrements, shed the kind of details, and focus it on this visual style between light and dark. And that we're constantly yeah. going to be in this near dark space. So it's always kind of shifting from these sumptuous nighttime landscapes to that twilight time of like sunset and sunrise with occasional blasts of blaring sunshine for the middle of the day, just to remind us how dangerous it is to these vampires. So I love all of that. And I think it's so rich. And she had great, you know, cinematographer on it working with her who had done the Terminator. So, you know, she he was really he had a real eye for that kind of nighttime shooting. Um, but then you also have the sense that she's making a vampire film um, and actually making the vampires the, the main protagonists. I mean, Caleb, who is our hero, is a half vampire. He gets bitten at the beginning and spends the rest of the film debating about do I do I give in and be a vampire or do, well, he doesn't really know what the options are um, until towards the end. So no spoilers. Um, but you know, it's, it's so suddenly when you have the vampires as the protagonist, you enter into a world that is much more morally gray, despite this kind of really black and literally black and white kind of visual style of light and dark actually you are in this twilight space of well, what is good and bad they are just surviving you know um they are being true to their natures and when you're looking at the world from their perspective caleb is annoying because he's putting them at risk yeah um so if you look at it from his from their world eyes it's a, you know he is a threat to them because he is not playing the game and he puts them at risk now, I'm not saying the whole film is looking at it from their eyes because they do some really nasty things. They are not nice. And that's the other thing I like about them is that I, what I like about the film is that it doesn't shy away from that and says, you know, there's nothing. Well, vampirism is sexualized in this film. Mm -hmm. It's also shown to be brutal murder. Yeah. 
and it, it kind of separates those two things out. You have certain kind of behavior that is where we're seeing vampirism amongst themselves. It's highly sexual as a group. Yeah. But when it's the rest of the world, it's murder. And, and they take great glee in that. And the film kind of constantly forces you into this position of liking them and yet not liking them mm. and kind of or feeling like I shouldn't be rooting for them. Despite the fact that they are kind of wonderfully exciting. Yeah. It's a strange one because they're often vilified, I think. And yeah. automatically or subconsciously, we kind of go, oh, well, the, these are the bad guys. Yeah. And I think... Bill Paxton Severin crosses the boundary a little bit of yeah. he's almost an anti-hero yeah. and he's yeah. so cool that you have to like him Absolutely. and you know, yeah but then at the same time he's the brutalist he's the one that you know will commit again you mentioned the, the bar scene yeah yeah so that is the, that's the one I would say take away from that film that stays with you um, even the image, I mean, because sadly when he died a couple of years ago, yeah. um, there was images being floated around of him in Aliens, of him in yeah. Twister. And yeah. then for me, it was, nah, you can see Severin. Let's float timelines with Severin for, you know, yeah. for today at least. Um, yeah. I can't remember the exact quote, um, which, you know, will allow people to read your book as well. But you end the book by really nicely wrapping it all up and saying that like, near dark, just like vampires, is just is not going to die it's not going to go no. away um, yes. and even yeah. like on, on things like the amazon listing where it's like it needs a crit it needs a kind of reanalysis or a reassessment yeah. um yeah. i'm not sure if you were familiar with um mark kermode's film review he mentioned yeah. he mentioned near that quite a lot because it's quite yeah. important to him um yes. and i think it is one of these again stranger just going back to what sam mentioned about he's not familiar with it at all and yeah. i think that there's those who know of it love it yeah us being them and Absolutely. those who aren't aware of it yeah immediately want to seek it out as soon as they've heard somebody mention it yeah um and again for me in a weird time of vampires so i came to this after twilight right and I think at that point i was like can i have a real vampire can i have a, yeah. a <laughs> no absolutely i mean it really is the antithesis of that kind of romantic even though it is a love story like it's yeah. a really beautiful love story um but it, it's, it's the antithesis of that kind of twilight kind of gothic, very traditional gothic mm. kind of romance that you see in Twilight where, you know, and we, you know, we don't want to spend a lot of time talking about Twilight, <laughs> but, you know, which is kind of very clean. I mean, it has its own issues, other issues, but, you know, yeah. it's a very, it's a very romanticized teenage thing. Even So even though Near Dark is, I mean, Caleb is roughly like, he's not quite a teen, but kind of post-teen. He's probably mm. like 18, 19, something like that. I think that's roughly yeah. where he's supposed to be. Um, it is it is a coming-of-age story. It's doing all those things, but in a really harsh landscape mm. and forcing him with really big decisions about growing up and even ambiguous about whether or not he's making the right decisions or if he, even if he's a nice guy from the start. Like, he's a really, he himself is a quite a dubious character, I think, at times. Like, he does some really unpleasant things even before he gets turned into a vampire. Um, so it's, I think it's a really rich film. And it's what's also interesting, like you came to it in the post-Twilight era, even when it came out in the 80s. And, and I have to say, like, I didn't see it in the cinema, um, but I was going to see films. So, I, you know, it came out the same year as Lost Boys and it came yeah. out two years after Fright Night, both of which I have to say I love. Like, I do love both films. I think they're great. I think Fright Night in particular is underrated. Um, but, but they're much more obviously teen 
working in that 80s teen genre and i love them for that because you know that's that's what they are um but the but and they they are brutal in their own ways but but they're they're much clearer lines of um what's right and wrong yeah and i think you're right the severing character is one who and and jesse as well partly because i do have a, a real love of lance henriksen <laughs> you know <laughs> um they they tease you with actually liking them you know it's hard not to like severin even when he's doing horrible things because he's really funny mm -hmm. and bill paxton really does push the boat out i think it's one of his i would agree like i, I agree it's iconic performance um even though fewer people because i think it is it's coming on the heels of hudson like he's doing this after he's played hudson and i think it's like it's like hudson unchained Mm. Like, you know, um, it's like all the dark potential of Hudson is just comes out in Severin. So I think it is, it captures what he does so well or did so well. Um, and yeah, so it's a very powerful film and I, I recommend and I, but it has this big cult following and I think it's, yeah. and I've been struck with it since doing the book because you sort of do it and you don't know, will anyone read this? But actually it's been really great at seeing people say, this is one of my favorite films. I can't mm. wait to read this. And, you know, like, it, you know, and I think it has this kind of very loyal following and anyone who does see it get really hooked into it. I think it's because it is, and I, I teach this film and it always goes over really well with my students. It is a joy to teach films that you like. Um, I, I showed my year 11's Ferris Bueller's Day Off yesterday. Oh, fantastic. And that was, I just, I was laughing as much as they were. Um, yeah, just to go back to something you mentioned about, um, so that even the characters, so you got like, you know, Jesse and Severin, yeah. and it's, you like them, yeah. and almost as the audience were positioned in the same way of, we really like these guys, oh, wait a minute, they can do that. They can turn yeah, on absolutely. any kind of instant. I yeah. think this film... Um, I'm assuming you're aware of like the Criterion collection. Yes, yeah. I think a Criterion near dark should yeah. be somewhere in the pipeline at least. Let's it's, have a, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. Because it's ripe for kind of rediscovery. I mean, the, yeah. I mean, back in the day, Anchor Bay did a really nice release of it where at least you got, you know, interviews and they did behind the scenes. But it'd be really great to come back to it again and do a really beautiful, pristine new Blu-ray that captures like the, just how visually sumptuous it is mm. um and just and also just getting people talking about how this sets up her career like it's yeah. such a pivotal moment for her marking her territory even if people didn't know it at the time you know it still does get her on the way to blue steel like mm. you know which is the moment where she becomes much more visible as a filmmaker even something like big or going back to it so some kind of retrospective commentary or oh, some kind of retrospective yeah. movie featurette or something like that. Yeah. Would be, yeah, it'd be really good because she does, I saw an interview with her once say that is probably one of the films that she gets asked about more often yeah. than not including. And this is my my moment where she, she did a, an interview at the British Film Institute many, many years ago. Um, and I was the one in the audience asking the near dark question because I did, which I don't even remember what the question was because I was so nervous about putting my hand up and her picking me. And I was like, oh. so, but it was good because I think, and it is, so I think getting her to reflect back on it yeah. would be great. And I think she would mm. if she's going to do that. Like I, you know, and I don't know how she feels about doing those types of things, but I think she, where I have seen her talk about it, she's very enthusiastic about it. Yeah. Um, as a film so we can Good. hope yeah
Okay, so we'll move into 1990 yeah. in a film that you've, you, we've both mentioned already. So this is Blue Steel, yeah. um, starring Jamie Lee Curtis, Ron Silver and Clancy Brown. Uh, so a kind of plot summary that I've got here. So when a rookie cop, Megan Turner, kills a convenience store robber, she doesn't notice when psychopathic commodities trader Eugene Hunt takes the dead man's gun. With no weapon at the crime scene, the police hold Turner accountable for the killing. Uh, meanwhile, Hunt uses a stolen weapon to go on a killing spree. Turner teams up with Detective Nick Mann to clear her name and catch the killer. An unexpected romance complicates matters. And this was definitely one that we watched. I think it was for women on film, actually. Yeah. Um, for the module that I did at university. Jamie Lee Curtis in this film is fantastic. And yeah. it was, again, it's one of those where I think it's lesser known for whatever whatever reason is happening in Catherine Bigot's filmography. There's a few that are really lesser known that actually, you know, near dark, fantastic example of the, the vampire film, uh, Blue Steel, fantastic example of Jamie Lee Curtis and what she can do on screen and things yeah. like that. Um, I remember a lot of the kind of conversations we were having at university being to do with, again, this kind of extended phallic nature yeah. of what's going on in the narrative with the man needing a gun to kind of seek, sort of exude his frustrations or he's kind of make himself feel more masculine. And yeah. he doesn't like the fact that he's going against, first of all, a rookie cop, second of all, a female rookie cop. Mm. Um, and the kind of, as it, as it mentions, the romance that kind of complicates from there. Um, yeah. And it, I, I've only seen this a couple of times, but it's a, to me, it's, it's a good film. I think it's another one that, again, maybe needs a bit of a, a reassessment mm -hmm. yeah I think so it's funny because I think it got a lot of attention when it came out if I remember like I was I that was I was aware of it when it came out it got good reviews or you know and she always gets mixed reviews but for the most part um and I think it got a lot of attention early on it is the kind of film that would feature on um lots of women in film modules mm. but you know earlier like years ago uh, and I, I think she probably still features in some but i think particularly because uh, you know she was still a rare figure working in yeah. mainstream hollywood making genre films and here making the kind of police thriller so it got some attention but you're right it hasn't kind of compared to some of the later films that we'll come on to got that kind of global attention both from the critics but also fans um and yet it is deserving. And for lots of similar reasons. I mean, I think it's the film that obviously it's it's there in Near Dark, but where the way in which she's playing with gender mm. become is obviously much more foreground. It's there in Near Dark, without a doubt. But we're seeing not just that you have the phallic male with the gun and using the gun, but also the fact that it all starts with the, this phallic female, this woman with the gun. And it's it's seeing her with the gun and pull the gun that kind of excites him and sets him on this strange path for of serial killing and there's something really complicated about what she's doing there which is both i think really effective but also uncomfortable like yeah. there's something uncomfortable with the character that jamie lee curtis plays which i really like i like the fact that you know we can we're going to see this reworking of the police genre with a female cop but we're not just going to kind of say well she's brilliant she's wonderful you know she's unfold she's a very flawed character um, and it's it's and that there's a complexity to to their relationship that is uncomfortable. The fact that she is she is does fall into this relationship with this serial killer, um, and he uses her and manipulates her, um, and lots of people die around her. Um, 
but it becomes about her finding strength in that and finding the power to fight back. And it's a really strong narrative of her fighting back against this, this really rather sadistic, manipulative male character. Yeah, so I think with, with Blue Steel, we've got a weird thing of this was still at the point where maybe people weren't familiar with Catherine Bigelow and maybe not maybe considering her in her own right. So this would have purely been sold on Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes. We begin, I think, to maybe start getting people noticing her and noticing her work when we get into 1991 yeah. and Point Break, yes. uh, which is a film that I've had a very recent conversation with, um, with James King, the film critic. Right. Um, he's just done a book called Be More Keanu, which is all about Keanu Reeves. <laughs> yeah. And we had a chat about the films of Keanu Reeves. And I, I, I only recently, this was the first time that I'd seen Point Break. Right. Um, again, it was one that had come up. It was one that was mentioned in university of this is a good kind of, it's really kind of uber macho, but at the same time, it's quite interesting to look at it from a female point of view. Because one thing that me and James spoke about was that it's refreshingly female from the even the cinematography point of view. You haven't got any of this male gaze nonsense. We're not lingering on anything or anything like that. It's just, yeah. this is an action film without the, oh, look, there's a woman. Oh, look, yeah. you know, there's this. Um, to me, it, it surprised me because it was a bit more of a slow burn than I thought it was going to be. I expected a bit more, of, but maybe that's because I've seen more recent action things yeah. and uh, you know this is what it was like in the 90s and yeah. obviously everything's just been turned up to 11 since um okay. so again just to kind of briefly go through this uh so it's you know action crime film starring patrick swayze keanu reeves uh johnny utah infiltrates a suspected gang of surfers which again was a bit of a weird convention to use um and Bodie is the one that leads them they're addicted to the rush of thievery and but obviously johnny utah then gets into a relationship with tyler who is in with the surfers which then complicates things the one thing that i thought was interesting is that this was around about the time where she was uh, married to james cameron and again they began to develop it together um yeah. filming was budgeted at 24 million dollars and it was released a general genuinely positive critical reception uh and it again grossed over 83 million so actually you know made a profit and has since gained again cult following um but then we got the sequel a couple of years ago which we won't talk about no. <laughs> yeah let's not bother with that one no. but again this for me is one of those quintessential bigelow films of you want to see action directed by a female this is it and it's so subtle in the difference. But once you kind of latch onto the difference and know the difference of, again, yeah. the cinematography, we're not going to have these lingering voyeuristic male point of view shots. No. We're going to have, let's just shoot the action. Let's just tell the story. Let's just tell the narrative and move with it. To me, it's it's much better than, I think, again, even maybe a male director would have done it. I mean, if you imagine Michael Bay's Point Break, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. a totally different film. No. Yeah. So yeah. Where, where are you on Point Break? You I'm, I'm in the same boat. I, I really do. I think it's... Um... I think it's a great film. Um, I agree with you when you look at it from the lens of 21st, like, you know, today. Yeah, it doesn't feel, have this, it doesn't seem as fast. You know, we're used to a much more kind of kinetic editing, etc. But I do think, you know, at the time, you know, it, it gets a balance between these kind of rich, um, 
beautiful sequences between the characters. You know, actually there's the relationships are really well developed, um, both between Keanu's character and Tyler, but also between him and Bodie. And you've got these really kind of very complex relationships, but it does have this wonderfully kinetic style. So when they do the heist and you get that big elongated chase sequence with Keanu Reeves character chasing them through kind of back alleys and whatever you know th there's lots of wonderful handheld camera like you really feel that kineticism that she is often associated with but it's always kind of balanced or, or it's always positioned in a world that about relationships and you see this from near dark i mean near dark you know what holds that film together are the relationships between those vampires you know in blue steel you know it's the relationship between Jamie Lee Curtis's character and her partner and which becomes very rich kind of relationship that there there's something about that she positions these things and she makes these characters very complex and this is where her genre hybridity which I always talk you know you talk a lot when you come to Catherine Bigelow she's making an action film but she's positioning it within um, the kind of melodrama because it is in many respects a romance again you know it is this romance between Keanu Reeves character whose name I keep forgetting is another Johnny it's another Johnny Utah. Johnny. it's Johnny yeah. Utah it's yeah. all Johnny's it's always Johnny's <laughs> with Keanu so Johnny Utah and Bodhi like you know it is this kind of pseudo romance because it's a very intense relationship between them and again he is very Caleb you know he's on this line between I'm working on the side of the law but actually I really like this group and the, what they believe and the the energy of surfing and it's a surfing movie like it's it's a surreal kind of mix. Um, I mean, who knew we needed a surfing movie? But clearly, we did, and we Apparently did. Apparently, so yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and I think it really works. And I think it's one of I think you know I know we're again from the lens of today. It's hard to imagine a world where we don't all adore. Keanu Reeves because he is yeah. so lauded these days like everyone loves him or most people do like he has a big following and at this point you know the reactions to Keanu Reeves was very mixed you know people were always judging him really harshly on his his ability to act and you know there's a really curious uh, approach to him but I think this film actually said no he's very good in these kinds of action films with these kinds of thinking action heroes and and you know this is pre-neo this is the path to neo yeah. for him and I think it's a really important stepping stone for him as a character before you get to the Matrix. Like, I think, you know, we wouldn't have the, him in the Matrix, I don't think, without Point Break. I really think this is his pathway there. Yeah, I agree. Because, again, like me and James mentioned about, um, so he's just come off Bill and Ted. Yeah. He's, he's still doing the laid back. And this allowed him to be laid back. Yeah. Um, you know, and then he goes on to speed. And then yeah. it's like, okay, we're picking things yeah. up a little bit. And then straight yeah. into the Matrix, like you mentioned. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. it's a it's a really nice path for him, and and I think you know she is really important to that to kind of create helping create that kind of the canon that we all know and love today. To yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, going into 1995, and admittedly my favorite, um, Strange Days, and I I, just, I don't think this gets the credit it deserves at all. Um, so again, this was a university one. Um, so this is a science fiction thriller. So again, talking about hybridity, directed by Catherine Bigel, written by James Cameron and Jay Cox, produced by oh. James Cameron as well. Stars Ray Fiennes, Angela Bassett, Juliette Lewis, and Tom Sizemore. Set in the last two days of 1999. 
2009, the film follows Lenny, who has moved into a lucrative trade, which is the illegal sale of virtual reality-like recordings that allow users to experience the emotions and past experiences of the people. Uh, he, could, he finds some bootlegs uh, that are quite tawdry, and one features a murder, and he enlists his friend uh, Mace, played by Angela Bassett, who is superb, um, to help find the killer. And they soon, the two soon stumble on uh, a conspiracy involving the police force, which Nero, Nero once worked for. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in here about, you know, it's blending sci-fi with film noir, with thriller. Uh, it explores themes such as racism, the abuse of power, rape, voyeurism. It was conceived by James Cameron, the story, but Bigelow found inspiration after a couple of different things to do with the 1992 uh, riots yeah. and the Lorena Babbitt trial, yeah. uh, Bobbitt trial, sorry. Um, and the Rodney King verdict. It was shot in LA over 77 nights. A lot of it is point of view. And again, it's one of the films that when I do, when I teach film language and we look at the point of view shot, we yeah. look at this quite a bit. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, major box office bomb. Um, apparently it almost derailed Bigelow's career because it made yeah. less than a sixth of its budget. Um, and it polarized film critics. But I think, again, it's one of these ones that when you go back to it and has this reassessment that actually people go, you know what, that wasn't as bad as everyone thought. Yeah. Um, Angela Bassett won Best Actress at the Saturn Awards. Uh, Bigelow, Catherine Bigelow won Best Director at the Saturn Awards as well, first woman to do that. And again, just as I've mentioned, I think Ray Fiennes is fantastic. And I think Angela Bassett, see, Angela Bassett, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a word here, which I do not mean derogatory at all, but there's a TV show on, on um, I think it's Sky Living or whatever it's called right. now, called 911 that Angela yes. Bassett's in. Yeah. And when me and my wife first watched it, I said, oh, Angela Bassett's in this. She's a ball buster. And my wife <laughs> said, what do you mean? And I said, just wait and watch. And she always gets cast as this yeah. woman who is just going to degrade the men and put them in their place. Yeah. And since then, we're on series three of this TV show yeah. now. She's like, even my wife is going, Bob Buster's here. Oh, yeah. she's got it out. She's here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I think this is great. And this is, again, one that came up in my, we did a, a 1990 to 95 top 10, kind of half the decade. Uh, yeah. This was in there for me. And if I ever did a favorite female performances, Mace would be right up there at the top. Yeah. This, yeah. I, I could gush about this all day. Um, and I just, I just don't understand why it's not got, again, the the kind of the response that it should have. Yeah. But hopefully people will go back to it. Yeah. There's something about Bigelow that has the sense that she is constantly being rediscovered. Yeah. You know, she's obviously done, she's been successful enough to keep going, you know, and will, you know, to, to, to keep making films, which is not easy. And a lot of women directors in Hollywood struggle when their films don't make millions. They're given, it's harder to get a second chance. She keeps coming back even when her films haven't done great. Although sometimes it takes longer. Um, but I think one of the reasons, so I, but I think one of the reasons this film definitely, I mean, at the time, because I did see this one in the cinema when it came out, um, and it, there was a lot of controversy surrounding it. Um, and, and probably not the only time she's been surrounded, but definitely not the only time she's been surrounded by controversy. But, um, and it mainly because there's a sequence with this VR technology that includes a rape. And it is a really a difficult scene to watch. Um, I don't think it's gratuitous. I definitely was always one that came away with saying, actually, I think this is a very intelligently constructed sequence. Yes. Um, 
but it's always hard in a film like this, which is spectacular and visceral, etc. And it's a hard scene to negotiate. And it definitely divided people at the time. And I think it kind of affected um, how people saw it. And once that film kind of gets caught up in that kind of controversy, it, it can impact on people going to see it. Um, but also I think it's, again, it's, it's a film that was felt so of its time, you know, it's about the millennium, you know, it's about that turn, um, you know, made just before that turn into millennium. And it, you do feel like it's like people don't really know what she's doing because she's bringing together lots of things. Like you have VR technology, you have race riots. Um, you have, I mean, it, again, it feels like we're in the moment now to be truly appreciating what, um, what she's weaving together in this film. Yeah. With all this kind of gender complexity, which she just keeps doing in really rich ways, because you're right. Angela Bassett is it's I mean, I love her anyways, but Mace is one of my favorite um, characters in Big Lowe's films mm -hmm. um, because she is the super tough action heroine. And you're getting at a simple level, you're getting what can be a simple gender reversal. You've got Ray Fiennes playing a character who is very weak male yeah. character he is in love and he he can't let go of this girl that he was in love with so he's rather obsessive and he's he's very passive and struggles he's constantly getting beat up <laughs> constantly getting beat up by people and then you have mace who is this you know technically a limousine driver but she's super you know sec security trained can you know does knows every martial arts and you know drives a bulletproof limousine so you're getting that very simple role like you know sexual gender reversal but it doesn't stop there because you know their relationship is incredibly rich she isn't just a tough hard woman who puts men in their place she does that but she's also has a family. She's the center of her family, you know, in terms of income. She is herself in love and has her own unrequited love narrative. She is the heart. And I would say she's the heart of that movie. And, and, and you know, which again itself could be a cliche to have the woman character be the heart. But because Bigelow mixed these things in very complex ways, you end up thinking, no, what I'm getting is a really intelligent powerful woman that I like that has again flaws is is complicated um but also you know kicks butt <laughs> which is yeah. what you want to see and she is fantastic um so you have that and then but then you have all these other characters around it I mean the film Tom Sizemore is fantastic in it um again underrated actor um but really really rich and and it's got a good thriller again no spoilers yeah. but it's got a good mystery at the sense on the peak of kind of the millennium with a kind of loaded race clash yeah. just bubbling away like it is but I think and obviously the other thing I suppose where it did get criticism not criticisms but you know it was also at a time you know post Rodney King of white filmmakers kind of doing kind of the kind of trying to kind of capture and engage with those issues in LA. So I think it kind of got caught up as well with some of the response to Schumacher's falling down, yeah. which was another film that came out. I can't remember exactly the years now they are, but they're roughly around the same time. Uh, and, you know, so again, there's that kind of tension. Whereas I think when you, if you look at it now, falling down is this really, really problematic film that deals with that in a very simplistic way. And what you've got with Strange Days is this kind of wonderfully rich um, evocation that feels relevant today. Like I, you just watch it and you go, no, this feels like this was made yesterday. 
Yeah, it's a really strange one because the idea of like trying to capture the zeitgeist is yeah. at the time you're going, is this too soon? Is this, yeah. you know, but then now you can look back at it and you go, it was so reflecting Absolutely. what happened at the time. And, and again, yeah. it has that strange critical reassessment that people can kind of go to from there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Again, one that I think everyone should go back and try and seek out. It has recently had a UK Blu-ray release. So yes. Much easier yeah. to get hold of than they are, unfortunately. Yes, exactly. Because I did for a while, like I think one of the Blu-rays I've got, I can't remember where it came from. I had to go, you know, get a, a non-English language version somewhere. Yeah. I think mine must be from Germany as well. I just remember it took a while to get it. And, it, and although I do have, back in the day, I did have the kind of beautiful Laserdisc of it. Oh, yeah. It came out in a beautiful, pristine Laserdisc back when Laserdisc was the kind of cutting-edge technology. And it is a really nice disc. And, and But I, so I think the Blu-rays that existed just kind of repackaged that. Yeah. Um, so it's nice that it's getting some attention now. <laughs> you know. Definitely. Uh, one that I don't think either of us are going to mention too much on is uh, the year 2000 and the weight of water. Yeah. Um, so French-American mystery thriller starring Elizabeth Hurley, Catherine Cott McCormack, Sean Penn and Sarah Pauly. Uh, so a photojournalist travels by yacht um, to photograph the site of a sensational axe murder that happened a century earlier in which two women were killed. And then the mystery oddly begins to parallel events playing out in his own life. I've not seen this. I don't think you're too familiar with it. I've seen it. I saw it when it came out. Oh, no. Actually, no, I didn't see it when it came out. I did eventually see it because I, you know, I pursue them. But it was a film that had, I think, a very delayed release. It was actually hard to get a hold of in the UK for a while. Um, so it's not a film I've had the opportunity to revisit. But from my memory, what strikes me about it is that in a way it feels, and this is really like from a distant memory, <laughs> It feels like it owes more of a debt to something like The Loveless. Like it's a film that is very slow. You've got these two parallel narratives, past and present, that intersect. But it, it spends a lot of time with people, like a lot of emotion underpinning very little action. Um, so it's, in a way, it's a very different style to her is my memory that it doesn't have that. And I'm not saying that negatively. It just doesn't have that kineticism that we're used to. So yeah, it's it's an interesting film, and I should rewatch it. I should revisit it, but I, it's one I've yet to reappraise. Uh, okay, yeah. I mean, I've I've not seen it, so I can't really pass comment on it. Yeah. Um, again, one that I've not seen, but one that I know that you have, and uh, you know, you're willing to talk about Harrison Ford. Uh, <laughs> is K nineteen uh, the Widowmaker from two thousand two? I do remember it though. I remember it being quite mainstreamy, kind of mm. almost. I suppose going back to maybe Bigelow being used as a con confident and competent director to direct a vehicle for a bigger star. Yeah. It's um, similar to things like Point Break and Blue Steel. Yeah. Um, so yeah. this is uh, a film based on a submarine. Okay. Historical submarine film is how Wikipedia refers to it. Didn't yeah. realize submarine was its own kind of subgenre, um, but we'll, we'll go into, we'll go into that yes. another time maybe. Yeah. Um, so this takes place in 1961 and focuses on the sort of story of the Soviet K-19 submarine. So this is Harrison Ford, Liam Neeson, Peter Sarsgaard, released in 2002, and upon release received mixed reviews from critics. This is becoming a reoccurring trend of Bigelow's films, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, it praised the performances and the dramatic atmosphere, but criticised the screenwriting. And again, unfortunate um, reoccurring theme became a box office bomb. Grossing 65 million against a budget of 90 million. Yeah. 
Um, so again, feel free to talk to me about Harrison Ford in a submarine film. <laughs> yeah, actually, I do really like submarine films. I'm not a, much in the military films, but something about the submarine genre, which I, it, I think it is probably, is great. Um, no, I, I love this film, actually. And it did, it, you know, it definitely didn't miss the mark for some people. But it's... Um, I mean, part of the problem, I mean, I, I, this is where I get to be anecdotal and say, you know, I am, I have been a Harrison Ford fan since Raiders of the Lost Ark in 1980, you know, very formative part of my life. And I will always give time to a Harrison Ford movie. Don't think they're all great. So it's not that I'm uncritical, but I do enjoy him. This was a star vehicle. This is something he was very invested in doing this. It was um, by his career standards it was him trying to do something different partly because he does a russian accent and in some respects it feels very old-fashioned because it is you know a group of non-russian actors interplaying russians all doing russian accents in a way the kind of old hollywood style and there's something kind of old hollywood about it um but it is about this kind of horrific um nuclear um, disaster on the submarine and the work of this particular group of people trying to you know, solve the problem amidst all the problems that you see in um, in the Soviet Union with technology and desire to keep everything secret and keep a lid on it. And it's I think it's it's again you're right it's not it doesn't feel like a personal project for her she brings that right level of kinetic energy where she is it is an incredibly tense thriller um but it has something which comes up in each of her films particularly if you think near dark point break um uh strange days and here which is it's about community and family and these kind of tight knit group and here it's about a group of people who have to pull together and this is where you get the conventions of these kinds of whether it's a submarine movie or of anyone in a any group people in a confined space having to kind of solve a problem and i think it works really well i think harrison ford is great it got a lot of criticism partly because i think people thought what's harrison ford doing trying to do an accent i'm not an expert i don't think i don't think it's a bad accent but it's weird. It's an unusual star move. And I think it was him trying to do something different. And he plays a rather unlikable character um, who changes, but you know, he's not the most sympathetic character. What I was thinking about it this morning, thinking about this, what struck me is I've just rewatched Chernobyl, the um, series about the new about Chernobyl. And what struck me is actually there's, you know, again, it seems to prefigure that in terms of the drama and they make really interesting companion pieces because they're about similar disasters um, at very different time periods, obviously one on a much bigger scale with Chernobyl. But I think the thing about this disaster in the 60s was the fact that the submarine was not that far from the US. So had it melted down and had an event, it could have precipitated um, kind of reactions and again, Cold War you know, um, responses. So there is that sense of this event could just get out of hand and they have the world in the balance. And it's there's some really interesting companion pieces there too, like really tense drama of, of, and the scene that always stays with me, which I think is really, she does really well, which is the men having to go into the reactor to fix it. And they have, she has to send, and not she, the captain, Harrison Ford, has to send them in in like two minutes or 10 minute time periods and it's incredibly stressful and scary and disturbing in terms of the impact so i think her 
it's a it is a big budget project it is a sense of her making a hollywood movie um but she brings an energy to it that is all her own that i think works really well so i've always been a fan i enjoy it i've rewatched it many times um not just for the harrison ford factor <laughs> not just for harrison ford <laughs> um Okay, I mean, again, I've not seen it, but I do remember it at the time, and I remember, you know, people mentioning it at the time. So a film that came out in 2009, and I think maybe has thematic links to K-19, although I'm not too familiar, um, is The Hurt Locker. Now, I said 2009, apparently it's 2008. It's got a weird one where I think it debuted at a festival really early on, and then was released afterwards. Um, So this, obviously directed by Catherine Bigel, written by Mark Ball, stars Jeremy Renner, Anthony Mackie, Guy Pearce, David Morse, Ray Fiennes again. Uh, So good to see them two back together again. Uh, The film follows an Iraq war explosive ordnance disposal team uh, that are targeted by insurgents and their psychological reactions to the stress of combat, which is intolerable to some and addicted to others. Now, I I enjoy this because it's not your stereotypical war film. It's not the kind of atypical war film either, I would say, in that we're dealing more with mindset and the aftermath and the kind of, again, psychological aspects Mm. of what goes on during war. This is more well-known, I would say, for its its awards, wins and buzz around it. Um, So this is obviously... Um, it won Best Director at the Oscars, Catherine Bigelby being the first woman to do so. The only um, woman to do so. The, the only one, well, I, yeah, I did, to I did, date. To date, yeah. I remembered this this morning and I, yeah. I felt like I'm going to I'm gonna put this little disclaimer in. So we are recording this in late November. Yeah. Um, I believe this podcast may go out after the 2021 Oscar ceremony. Right. And there is currently buzz surrounding Chloe Zhao's Nomadland yes. and Regina King's One Night in Miami. Yeah. Um, so... Who knows what might happen then? I know. Right now, she's the only one that has done. And it's the only film directed by a female that's won Best Picture as well. Yeah. um, So far. Because I do quite like One Night in Miami. I saw it at the London Film Festival. Um, Right. That that was good. (laughs) I still haven't seen it. No, it's it's good. Um, But anyway, uh, yeah, so I think this again, around about the time was, you know, you're pitting it up against Avatar, which is the the flashiest kind of biggest, almost antithesis to each other films that could go head to head. And I remember coming out of the Golden Globes and seeing that Avatar had won Best Motion Picture Drama. And I just thought, what what is this about? And then thankfully, the Oscars redeemed it all. Yeah. But talking about the the film itself, I think this is the star-making performance for Jeremy Renner. It is, um, yeah. Before this point, he was the guy from SWAT. If you've yeah. ever seen the 2003 film SWAT with Colin Farrell, it was just, oh, he's that guy who's been in that and not really done much else since. I've got one earlier than that. He's an episode of Angel. Oh, nice. He plays okay. a vampire. Comes nice full circle. He plays a vampire and Angel. Yeah, I just and, and now he's Hawkeye. I know. And it is, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. But I did quite like Jeremy Renner anyway. Yeah, um, yeah, this this was a good one. It was again a bit of a slow burn, but I think allowing the story to be, be told at a slow pace at its own pace, not necessarily overdoing anything to the audience, is one of Big O's maybe key styles or themes, yeah. even autoristic traits that come through. Yeah. And it's when I believe she does her work the best. Yeah. And I've, uh, since I, w- I would say since Hurt Locker, we now have oh, this is a Catherine Bigelow film, yes. which I did. I don't think we got oh, no. until this point. 
Um, and, you know, when we talk about Zero Dark Thirty, when we talk about Detroit, they were very much like, this is Catherine Bigelow's new film. Yeah. Whereas before that, it was Harrison Ford's new film. That film that's about sci-fi, uh, <laughs> that's about the turn of millennium, that yeah. film that's about vampires. Yeah. This is yeah. Catherine Bigelow has... Taken a taken a fair while for her to get the credit that she's due, but she's yeah. arrived at this point. She has. Uh, yeah. Where do you stand on her locker? I'm a. I really like it. Um. I, I think. I mean. I think it's a very good film. I think you're right. It is the point where she becomes um, kind of recognised uh, and kind of gains critical and just industrial acceptance. Um, like you said, as an auteur, as someone who can sell a film, like you know, and then you know her name above the title. Um. I think it's a moment. I mean, up until this point, she has, she is wonderfully generically dabbling. Like she does horror, then she does, you know, action films and she does thriller. You know, she's constantly working. We haven't seen the great Catherine Bigelow musical yet, but you know, I'm always ever hopeful. Actually, no, Strange Days has a lot of singing in it. Um, One day we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. But I think what, but what this is the movement where, and I think that acceptance comes, I think partly because she's working within more realist genres with this. This is a move into doing something that is, you know, it, it's um, it's about a very real event, fairly contemporary. So this is about, you know, the bomb disposal in Iraq and, and, and that's still very current and it's the, in the world thinking, dealing with those issues. Um, and that sense of what soldiers in Iraq were going through in terms of the trauma and the stress. So she's tapping into something incredibly current um, in a genre that is very realist and serious. And I would say that for me, in some respects, that's why I think she gets saying is really tapping into a moment. But she's doing it through science fiction. And that seems to confuse people for yeah. some reason. Yeah. Um, whereas, whereas weirdly, I feel like we're more receptive to the contemporary war genre if you want to call that now because it's almost as if we've been in this position this kind of post 9-11 position since 2001 and everyone's aware of what they're seeing on the news everyone's aware of what it is and Hello. weirdly we gravitate to something that maybe we can relate to a little bit more in terms of film and film style and we're thinking of things like Hurt Locker, we're thinking of things like maybe even an American Sniper or even like Zero Dark Thirty, which we're going to come on to. Okay, so moving into 2012 and my opinion on this, even though it's not my favourite of her films, because um, I would say that's either Strange Days or Near Dark, maybe Strange Days. Um, yeah. I think this is her best from a kind of, if you if you were to step back and not really know too much about her or maybe not even have a anecdotal this was when the yeah. first time I watched this i think yeah. this is a solid film yeah. from, from bigelow um, and yeah. so this is the story following the september 11th 2001 terrorist attacks of the hunt for osama bin laden and uh, you've got jessica chastain fantastically anchoring this film and i think yes overlooked at the Oscars in that in that year I would say she does a superb job here yeah um and obviously basically building towards where is he have we found him have we not found him and again a bit of a slow burn very conversational very kind of um again done through the performances done through the you know the actions done through the performances yeah. but then that final half hour raid on 
been yeah. like that is one of the best action set pieces yeah. I think I've ever seen yeah. um, in a film. And yeah. again, I, I still saw students today. I was really worried last year when I introduced auteur theory to my then year 10s or maybe even year nines. And yeah. I, I do it usually through Christopher Nolan and we watched Dunkirk and then we had a bit of time. So I said, right, I, I'm going to show you somebody else. And we did Catherine Bigel. And I showed them Zero Dark Thirty because I thought of all of them, it might be the most accessible. Yeah. And then about halfway through, I thought, have I, have I made a mistake? Is it is it too long and arduous for them? Are they going to really appreciate it? They loved it. They oh, absolutely good. loved it. They really kind of fell into it. Um, and because I, I remember after the first lesson where we'd done about an hour of it, and they came back for the second one. I was thinking I might just stop it and move on. And they went, "No, we really want to watch. We want to see how yeah. it ends." Because obviously, one of them said, "Like we know how it ends because obviously he gets <laughs> captured and he gets killed." Yeah. yeah. But we want to see this play out. We want to see how yeah. this goes. And that was a kind of a, a bit of a win for me on that yeah. day. Um, yeah, I just I think in terms of how far she's come from Loveless yeah. to here, yeah. this is you know you've got the budget. You've got the actors. You know exactly yeah. what you're doing. You've got your again genre hybridity of yeah. it's a bit of a war film, it's a bit of a I suppose melodrama as well at it one is. point, thriller, yeah, action. Yeah. You're going to mix them all together, and this yeah. is Catherine Bigelow's take on current yeah. times and the hunt for Sam Bin Laden. Absolutely, um, I think this is great. Uh, yeah. What do you think about it? I agree. I think for me, it's my favorite of the films she did. She's done with Mark Ball. I think it's, um, yeah, it's incredibly well paced dealing with something because it's telling a story that we all, like you said, we know this story, you know, we know the broad beats of it. So to, to make something that is thrilling, moving, disturbing about something where we actually know how it started and we know how it ends but we don't know how they got necessarily got there. Um, I think it works really well and it brings together things she does really well. And I think one thing that she does really well, she does write or create space for these very rich female characters. Um, and Chastain, I think for me is up there with Mace, with May from Near Dark, with Jamie Lee characters, Jamie Lee Curtis's character in Blue Steel. You know, this is a really complex woman who is obsessive, who is, in some respects, really questionable her behavior and her decisions and all this, but somehow gets the job done. Um, and the film doesn't take a moral position on whether this is good or bad. Should they have been doing this? What are the issues? This is the film, you know, it's, it's presenting these things for us to think through the choice. Yeah. It got into a lot of controversy for supposedly um, uh, glorifying torture. And, and I, you know, and, and, I think it shows the torture. I don't think, for me, it doesn't glorify it, but it, you know, it shows that this is what was going on and allows us to think about, was it worth it? Is it right to do these things for this end? And what is the, what are the implications of this end? Yeah, I think that first scene with the waterboarding sequence where we're immediately positioned as, this is awful. Yeah, and then yeah. there's almost, if you've not quite cottoned onto it, there's almost a realization of, oh, this is the kind of English speaking side of the war that is doing this are we yeah. the bad guys are we the, you yeah. know you know yeah. this could be seen as abhorrent whichever side you're on absolutely um, and I again i think it's really good that again there's no it's not really a gray area it's kind of like this is just what it is and will allow yeah. you to make your own mind up on absolutely what it is yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
And at the same time, like, again, if we mentioned Michael Bay earlier, not going, Michael Bay would go, America's doing this, isn't this? It's great. No, it's no, not, it's, it's, not. Not, it's not a flag waving yeah. film. Yeah. You know, for all that it is about a very American response to these events and a very um, particular path, which is this obsession with the summit of in Yeah. Um, it's not flag waving and it allows us to to question it, particularly as the long because it takes so long, the backdrop changes mm-hmm. and you begin to see the kind of gung-ho attitudes about certain behaviors and how the world, the politics change. And you can sort of think for yourself, is this is you know, is this right yeah. that they've they did this? And 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 also what's the benefit of this? They got him. Great. What does that do? Because a lot of the controversy comes out of the fact that it's not flag-waving. Exactly. And I think that that's just not coming from, for lack of a better word, a smart audience in that it's allowed. You you don't have to go in watching a film that is maybe so aligned with your views that when it turns against them, you go... It's like the people (laughs) that are in Gothcom, you know? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What's going on there? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, it allows you to think for yourself and yes. work this out for yourself, which I really like. Um, and, but I agree. And I, but I agree. I think that last half hour of the actual attack is brain, but and also the, in that investigation, the slow suspense mm. of the following the guy with the phone and, you know, like just the minutiae of surveillance that's required to do this. Like, I think it's a very thrilling film in a slow burn way, like where you are actually just paying attention to details. Yeah. The the scene where the car drives into the camp. Yeah. And then explode. That was a good one. Yeah. Um, and even, you know, Maya's conversation with again, I think it's a, a colleague and then the bomb yeah. explodes in the restaurant. Yeah. Again, yeah. Oh, a lot yeah. of things were yeah. you've yeah. it's timed so perfectly well. Yeah. And yeah. almost that we've been lulled into a false sense of security of going, oh, it's, it's going to be yeah. one of those scenes. Oh, yeah. wait a minute. No, it's not. Because war's yeah. not like that. You can't predict no. when things are going to happen. No, you know? exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We're on to our most recent film. So we're into 2017. Um, and this is Detroit, which hmm. is set in the summer of 1967. And rioting and civil unrest starts to tear parts of the streets of Detroit. Two days later, reports of a gunshot prompts Detroit Police, Michigan State Police, and the National Army. Uh, sorry, the National Guard, to seize an annex of the Algiers Motel. Um, the thing that I liked about this film, I mean, I like it generally, but it, I loved the, the spotlight that it put on John Baeger and Will Poulter. Yeah. Of, these are next-generational film stars that we are currently seeing the rise of, yeah. and they're in a big-budget Catherine Bigelow film, still at Absolutely. this point, you know, and yeah. let's see what they can do. Absolutely. And, Completely changed my opinion of both of them. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I was it wasn't that I was against them or anything like that. Will Porter always, to me, seemed um, a little bit comedic and a little yeah. bit... Um, I think I got that from things like Where the Millers and... Yeah. He, he did Son of Rambo really early. Uh, yes, you're right. That's probably where I saw him first. And then this was like, okay, okay let's take him seriously now. And again, yeah. John Boyega not just being um, Moses from Attack the Block. And not yeah. just being Finn from Star Wars. It's yeah, yeah let's see what he can do. Yeah. Here. Um, yeah. I, I really enjoyed this. The sad thing is that, again, it, it was a box office bomb yeah. and it didn't do it. But I feel like when it came out, there was a bit of a buzz around it. And there was a bit of a, is this the first Oscar front runner that we are seeing for 2017 yeah. slash 18? And for whatever reason, it just didn't happen. Um, I think it's as strong as a film of Hurt Locker 
Yeah. And it's just a weird position that you end up in where you end up comparing these films and going, how's that got the accolades <laughs> that it has, but this yeah. one hasn't? And yeah, it's all to do with time. It's all to do. It with is. Yeah, it is. Because I like you. I, I I like it as well. Um, I think it's a. I think it's for me. It's it's. I think reasonably equivalent to Hurt Locker, um, and, and I think it's you sort of feel like it's that moment again it's a zeitgeist moment isn't it that somehow hurt locker just hits the comes out the right time and the right moment um to get the attention it deserves and detroit i don't know if it came out now how would people respond more like is it just somehow in between moments um because i think it's really good i think john boyega is outstanding in it i agree both of them and and it, it is the film that makes you stop I've always, you know, I like John Boyega. It's a film that makes you realize, oh no, he really is the star to watch. Like, you know, he is, he has got so much going for him. Yeah. Um, and Will Poulter as well, who's terrifying in it. He's terrifying. That um, sequence where they um, search, yeah, search all the, uh, the, 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 the lads in the hotel and stuff. That's, yeah. yeah, really kind of what's going on. But again, talking about capturing the zeitgeist. Yeah. The whole Black Lives Matter movement, the Absolutely. Protests, everything like that. Again, may, maybe even if it was released in this year, would it have struck more of a chord? Yeah, of, exactly. Know, and had a bigger response. Yeah, because it is a film where she is really trying to tap into those kind of race, that that kind of legacy and the history of race issues um, that go that have gone on for a long time. That just is what is has underpinned so much in the US this year and it's prefiguring that it's you know it's trump it's it's tying into all of those issues um and she has her finger on the pulse and really captures those those the kind of again the explosive racial tension and the pot, the, the powder keg that is um race relations in the US and and globally really yeah. uh, and she really works and again she's using genre very well again now like these others kind of tapping into real life events okay yes it's historical uh, rather than contemporary but it has that contemporary relevance um and i think it's just a very strong piece and i think it just it's one of those things i i think it just hasn't had its moment and again like you know it, it's one of those films i think as a as a white woman filmmaker i think she really does tap into that very well and you're not getting a sense of of white privilege like you know i think she is trying to really engage with that kind of anti-racist thinking how successful you know i you know it, whether or not it has problems i can't quite work out i think it's i think it's doing good work um but it's it's always going to be complicated in that side of it in the u.s but i think it's a really strong film and it was disappointing it didn't do as well but i don't think it's going anywhere you know? no i don't either i think it's one that I think film four has kind of picked it up and we'll keep yeah. doing the circulation on that. Yeah. Um, which allows, again, for reassessment, as we keep mentioning. Yeah. 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 You know, I think it's one of the things about Catherine Bigelow is that, I mean, like I said, she's obviously doing enough right that she does keep coming back and getting getting the money to make the next project. Uh, and I think that is great. So it's a question of, you know, what will be the next project be? And, and, and then it allows that space for us to keep, going back and kind of rediscovering these films and i think i think we'll always look back at her as someone who definitely had a finger on the pulse so we usually end these episodes yeah. of looking forward and thinking what are they going to do next and yeah sadly we've got no kind of inkling sign as to what it's going to no. be no yeah. I, yeah i don't really know what to say i would imagine that hope i mean hopefully detroit's not the last 
I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. I think because it's by no means okay. Yeah, it didn't do as well as it we would like it to have done. But you know, she's had bigger box office failures. Ones that have been. It's hard. You know, it's. I think it's. It's always hard to get the money. I think she has spent various periods of her career in what we would refer to as development hell, of trying to get projects off the ground that didn't. There are loads of you know. Um, missed projects that we will never see that she tried to do and couldn't and mm. that's why there are gaps in her career because she's she's working so who knows I think we, we definitely have more to say yeah. my hope this is a completely personal hope is that I think this trilogy she's done with Mark Ball is great and I think that's really good and it's obviously been a very vibrant collaboration for her that she's come back to that I kind of like to see her do something different now and yeah. kind of move away from the kind of realist and go back to some of the more speculative genres I think she does really well but mm. that's just personal because it's because of what I like <laughs> but I think even, even maybe a return to like full-born action or something like that absolutely yeah you know um or her go back to horror would be great yeah. Yeah, I would love to see her make another horror film, particularly mm. in this landscape where horror is getting a lot of attention. And it'd be really great to see her go back to that. But who knows? You know, she she goes with her gut and to what sparks her interest. And I, you know, I trust her to know what she's going to do next. Good. Yeah. yeah. Um, just a quick thing on the, uh, recurring themes. So things yes. that often crop up. We've, we've talked a lot about the genre hybridity. Yeah. Um, for me, things like strong-willed female, yeah, absolutely. Um, key, you know, absolutely pivotal female representation that's going yeah. on in most films. Again, like you can't really talk about action because, again, it is this idea of hybridity. Recently, yeah. war, contemporary yeah. war, thinking about yeah. things like that. But even going yeah. back to Detroit, you know, yeah, um, absolutely. And again, it's just we've mentioned slow burn, and sometimes that can be used as a bit of a negative. But I feel like she is the director, one of the directors, yeah that does it so well and it, you you allow for it to happen because you know there's going to be a, a substantial payoff somewhere yeah, down there. absolutely there's a reward for the time you're going to yes. give to it which i think is really good yeah. no i think those are the key things i mean the only thing i would add is alongside strong female characters she does play with androgyny a lot like you know mm -hmm. really kind of blurring lines um you know in terms of gender which i really like that the, these characters you know that and i and that would be interesting to see her do more of that in this landscape now would be really interesting because i think she does really you know she's again ahead of her time in terms of thinking creatively around gender lines yeah. um and androgyny which i think is really key but you're right i think that slow burn is a big part of her that she's prepared to take the time to set up um set up the action sequence or the payoff or you know allow those those action moments to be earned <laughs> you know that we have to earn them and work for them which then, i think is really key if we go into a Catherine bigelow film we allow ourselves to do that and we go yeah. okay i know what i'm expecting from this then yeah absolutely and i think also i mean you know the one thing you know is that there's also a a very sumptuous visual style that you know i think she is very painterly and so we will always see what i always look out for is just what is she going to do with light because i think her films are really beautiful um and it always works it's always made to work really well with the genre she's working in but there's something really effective about how she how she stages her sequences and how she moves her camera again she's very visceral like there's something very visceral about her films yeah. that you do feel even in the quiet moments or the action films you feel like you're immersed within those moments which i think are really exciting definitely just to end then 
Um, your favorite, if you can pick a favorite. Well, my favorite has to be Near Dark. It yeah. really does. Um, because uh, it partly because I think I I do think it is one of her strongest. Like you know, I think there are you know all of her films have something I like about them, but I just think for me it brings you know it's uh, generically creative and innovative it is aesthetically stunning um rich character she 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 shows her skill because one thing we haven't talked about is we've talked about the actors but she picks she's able to really to to identify people who work well together and i think with that one again it's one of the best ensembles that she's and she works a lot with ensemble casts Mm. and that when she really weaves a really important group together um, not only because she borrows a couple of them, fr- three of them from aliens, but because she she knew enough to recognize that actually taking those three together yeah. would be really important for the film, which I think is really good. Um, so it, it, Near Dark will always be my favorite. Mine, I think, is Strange Days. I just, as I'm a little over in my head, I just think yeah. it was the one that I remember when I saw it, I was just like, this is, why have I never seen this? Why have I never yeah. heard of this film at yeah. that point? Yeah, and yeah. then that was the thing that I think prompted me to go back to Bigelow. Absolutely. Consider it as I consider her as one, you know, if a yeah. film was going to come out on Friday that was yeah. a Captain Bigelow film, I'd be there on Friday watching yeah. it. Oh, and, yeah, me yeah, too. For me, it's Strange Days. Yeah, which is, I mean, it's an excellent choice. It's definitely up there yes. as one of my favourites as well. Yeah, along with Zero Dark Thirty, I think. I think that's the one that maybe I've watched the most or gone back right. to the most. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, no, I really, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. It's probably, like I said, Zero Dark Thirty is my favorite of the kind of recent yes. films. Yeah. Um, I think probably my heart lies with some of the earlier films, just say, <laughs> I like that. I'm just more drawn to those genres than yeah. the more realist, but I love them. Thank you very much for listening, and thanks once again to Dr. Stacey Abbott for her time today. You can help support Farron Film by following us on Twitter at Farron Film, by liking us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Farron Film, and leaving a five star review at your favourite podcast provider. Stay safe, look after each other, and I'll see you next time.